0: I don't know how to turn back Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me this week we have Martin Theobald. Yo. And via Skype, due to train delays, we have oh, and uh, obviously a uh, international visit for the Christmas holidays. We have the mighty Chep- Terry Chependama. Hey Terry.
1: Hey, how you guys doing? Are you all right? We're um, good. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> Martin Apart is extremely hungover. Yeah, how yeah. was your night last night?
2: It was very good, but I'm in a very bad way for the entire day today. Well,
0: that will please people at home listening or on their way to work listening because not only will they be able to feel better about the fact that you're hungover and they're not, but this always tends to be a reasonably good podcast when you're hungover.
2: I don't know. It's gonna go one of two ways. Like I'm on the I'm on the boundary at the moment. <laughs> it could be like Rant Central, or you may just not hear from me again. For the rest
1: of it, cause, uh, yeah. I, I think I think
2: I think we need a rent. I think we need to close the year <laughs> with a rent. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, I'll just save it up
0: like power punches. <laughs> <laughs> can the other question is, can you make it more controversial than you did last week, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you be more uh, slanderous than we've had in the past? Can we make it a pre-Christmas, yeah, pre-Christmas pod uh, worth I, cringing I over? I, I,
1: I got a lot of stick for what I said about women's boxing.
0: <laughs> really? Um, what? <laughs> an absolute shocker. Well, I would have edited it out, but there was so much reference to it from the, that point onwards, it was impossible.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, the... the uh, every, uh, uh, wow. Um, <laughs> that
0: says it. That says it, mate. I can't remember what it was. My favourite feedback
2: was the guy who said... Uh... <laughs> Was it about the, um, who was the cunty one that went yeah.
0: <laughs> You did your best. Yeah. That was some good yeah, fire control, Or I, all. I, uh, I got
1: my arse handed to me, and that wasn't even the intention. That's the crazy thing about all of this. Uh, yeah, no, that was good fun.
0: Don't worry, mate. I'll make, sh- I'll make sure I edit out nice and seamlessly anything you do. I feel do, like, it was
1: like it was like that first Prince Patel interview. With You've been two. stitched up. You've been stitched up, Terry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, entirely.
0: I, I'm going to sue. <laughs> okay, I'll so sue we're... Katie Taylor. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> so we're 22 minutes in after Terry's just had another massive 20-minute rant that I've edited out. <laughs> 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 you, might, you might have heard a bit about Katie Taylor. Yeah, you? that was right at the beginning. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> before he went nuclear. Yeah, and then we have to just turn it all off, <laughs> shut it down, start again. Right, okay, I suppose we... Best um, move on and talk about some boxing. And a most logical place to start, given that we haven't had an awful amount to talk about this week, uh, is Bernard Hopkins loses on his retirement fight to Joe Smith. Martin, uh, I have to confess
2: I haven't been sober enough to watch it today. Uh, Terry I certainly wasn't last night.
0: So
1: I'm <laughs> <to> Terry, <laughs> um, so, so just by way of context, um, Hopkins hasn't been in the ring since he lost to. Kovalev in November 2014 and that was a pretty one-sided shutout, you know, and that was the point we thought Bernard Hopkins would retire so two years plus later he returns, he has the fight with Joe Smith who's most famous for knocking out Andre Fonfana in, I think it was a round basically battered Fonfara, who clearly underestimated Joe Smith so Hopkins has the fight with Smith this is meant to be the sign-out fight, you know. Uh, the gamble must have been that Hopkins was too wily for him. But going into the ring, I, I don't know, you know, and be interested to see what the, the listeners think. Smith looked a different animal to Hopkins. So Hopkins looked very watery at the weight. So he looked like he could have made 168 if he had been bothered to boil down. Whereas Joe Smith looked like he would come down from 182. He He looked an absolute monster. And in the first round, he hit Hopkins, and Hopkins' legs wobbled, much like Kovalev did. And after that, Hopkins wasn't so willing to engage. He was always looking for that perfect opportunity to exploit. And I thought Hopkins did, you know, Hopkins did what Hopkins does, but just not as effectively as he did in, say, the Kenny Pavlik fight. And I think just 175 is a step too far for his skill set and his age. And what ended up happening was, Smith was throwing the power bombs, you saw the odd Hopkins cameo and the crowd would pop crazy for that. You know, the the, old, the classic slipping the jab, coming back with a counter-right hand, coming back with a left uppercut. You know, all the classic Hopkins traits were, were all there, but it wasn't consistent enough. So, you got to a point where I think it was either round eight or round nine, I've lost my bearings because it's been thought, a sort of day. Smith traps Hopkins in a corner and proceeds to, to let go with a combination and Hopkins falls out the ring ass first which is very dangerous because he fell in that corner where there's no ta- there's no judges table so he fell straight to the floor hmm. which however anyone wants to describe it like falling head and neck first onto the floor is dangerous
0: hmm.
1: so yeah. there's about a minute of confusion where we didn't know what was going to happen the rules obviously state you have 20 seconds to get back in the ring and then the ref will assess you then Hopkins just didn't get back in the ring, so he was effectively, you know, the fight was stopped, he was counted out, and he couldn't understand why. He said Joe Smith had pushed him. And that's yeah. where the controversy lies in this fight. Truth is, Smith hit him with probably two solid shots. It was a right hand that seemed to affect Hopkins, and definitely a left hook that put him through the ropes. The problem was the ropes were really loose. Now, Martin will remember this. I think it was the Jermaine Smile the Leon McKenzie, McKenzie fight yeah. where the ropes were really loose. And I think what Smile fell out the ring was it? Hop- no, or it, it, was, it was Leon. He nearly fell on top of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so he fell out the ring because ropes were so loose. And that, so with this fight, it was half a dozen of one, six of the other, where Hopkins did get hit, but in normal circumstances, he'd have just ridden along the ropes to get himself out. But in doing that, he, he shot his ass up the ropes, fell out. But, you know, the ropes were loose. And it was also his fault. So what Hopkins does, as you've all seen, is he likes to slide along the ropes. You know, that's his, that's his tactic now. He'll fight off the ropes. And in doing that, what he does is he moves the... I never know what they're called. they are call them, the rope ties. The things that hold the ropes the together bits, and keep the, the tension.
2: Yeah, the black bits that sit down
1: the middle yeah. of the... Uh, so yeah. he, he had clearly moved them too far towards the centre which then made the corner quite flappy in terms of rope tension, and he's fallen through that.
0: Is there not, the um, been... regulations for this, or is the, does the ref inspect them and just see if he's happy with them before but the fight? The ref's fight?
1: supposed to do that. So There's nothing else for the ref to do between rounds, right? Apart from making sure the ring is safe. And they'll do that in terms of get rid of the water or... yeah. The ref enforce what happens. So I'm surprised the ref didn't spot that, because the, the black thing, as we'll call it, should have been a lot more to the right or to the left as the viewers were watching it, which it wasn't. Hopkins fell through. He says he was pushed. He wasn't pushed. He was punched through. It was unfortunate because it was a nip and tuck fight. I don't think Smith was dominant and I don't think Hopkins was doing enough. Do I want to see a rematch of that fight? No. Hopkins looked like he was, he, he looked like he'd seen better days. It reminded me very much of. The 1991 fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and Terry Norris, where you had the old veteran who thought experience would get him through against the young hungry lion who who was just relentless. Um, we're going to touch on the subject later on. Do I think Joe Smith was eating chicken, tuna, and rice? Don't know. <laughs> some, some, somehow I have a feeling that you know he was in a very happy place in that fight. And I'll say no more about that.
0: Um, right. So I have a question. If you just approach this as a complete sort of uh, outsider to the sport, a sort of common uh, understanding of human anatomy would suggest that if a boxer gets to an old age, as uh, and let's just say for sport, Bernard Hopkins is of that sort of age. Are, is it common for boxers to go out? Basically losing their their last few fights unless they go out on a high like uh, Mayweather. Um, yeah, Mayweather. Is it, it is is it is it imperative that they go out when they're young comparatively, or is it just choosing your fights the right way? Like, like... Well, so
1: so let's look at boxing history. It's always hubris, isn't it? Every boxer has a degree of hubris that says. I am so experienced. I am so good. I can take a year off. I can take two years off and come back. We saw with Nicholas Walters, eleven months out, didn't look like you know he belonged in the same ring as Lomachenko. We see it now with Hopkins, who takes two years out. It doesn't look like he belongs in the same ring as Joe Smith, a man he would have battered two years ago. He would have he, he would have beaten Smith into submission two years ago. But these boxers had no respect for the the damage a layoff does, where your body gets comfortable in a new way of being. You know, you go further back, Chris Eubank, Joe Calzaghe. So it's ring rust. It's ring rust, but it's also physical decline. You know, Chris Eubank, Joe Calzaghe. Could Calzaghe have lived with the Eubank of old? God no. But he fought a Eubank who was on the way down, who had seen better days, his body was shopworn. And he paid a heavy price. Nigel Ben, Steve Collins, the same thing. Um,
0: I guess my know, question r- r- sort of revolves around the more pressing point the question would be is there an example of an aged boxer that's defied sort of the the tide up until the point that he's retired? Do you know what I mean? George
1: Foreman. George, Scotty George Foreman, right? Um, comes back in 1987 at the age of 38. Wins the world title against Michael Mora in 1994, which would have made him 44, 45, around right about that age. And, you know, he won. And he he looked like he belonged. Okay, he was taking a pacing for most of the fight. But you could see what he was doing. He was using veteran skills. He's probably the only guy you can think of. And I think it's only really going to happen at, at the heavyweight level. You know, if Vlad beats Joshua, decides to retire at that point. That will be another example. I think at the smaller weights, it's a lot harder because the power is more or less similar. Speed is the key factor, whereas in the heavyweights, the difference in power is vast, whereas the speed doesn't change too much.
0: Uh, are we likely to see Hopkins come back at any stage, you think, or is this the final? This really is the I hope final. not.
1: I hope not. I don't think he has anything to prove in the sport, and I don't think he has any more to give to the sport.
0: Uh, what happens to Joe Smith next? Where does he go? Well, it's his
1: oyster. Um, you know, he he is actually in the running for one of the five fighters of the year, if you think about it, just based on names that he's beaten. You know, he's smashed from Pharah and he's put Hopkins... He, I mean, he did what Kovalev couldn't do.
2: First man to so, stop Hopkins.
1: Yeah, you know, so, so he's built a name for himself, and that puts him in the mix to fight guys like Pascal. I think the Rooters, you fight the guys that like Pascal test yourself, then Get you fight cleverly. the guys that like Paterbiev. Yeah, cleverly. even cleverly it's an easy belt. So there are guys at 175 he can fight to build his name up before then deciding if he wants to cash out against the Kovalev level award.
0: Okay, um, let's talk Oleksandr Usyk versus Mchunu. What happened in the fight? Usyk's an absolute monster. Well, U6 is a great, he's, he's he's a great technician.
1: Um, we thought Machunu was, so just by way of context, Tabiusa Machunu came to prominence when he fought Eddie Chambers, when Eddie Chambers came down from heavyweight to cruiserweight, and administered a one sided hiding on Eddie Chambers, which, you know, brought attention because Chambers was always a small heavyweight, much like David Hay, who you felt would be better in the cruiserweight division, and he found out that he wasn't. So great things were expected from the Southpaw Machuna. You thought, right, this guy might be the guy to to cause trouble because he was slick. He had that Mayweather shoulder roll. He had all the things you want to see in a boxer um, at the size that he was. But then he got beaten by Makabu, who lost to Bellew. And then you, you sense that maybe he's not that good. And I know he was Bellew's sparring partner in preparation for Makabu. So you kind of knew what his career trajectory was, but he's still a name regardless. And Usyk, being the the decorated Olympian that he is, being the big cruiserweight that he is, and also being a t- fantastically skilled southpaw with a lot of Lomachenko's traits with him, administered a one-sided beating, so I think he was 8-0 up on the scorecards before <laughs> dropping Matuna twice and ending the fight. So you're there with Yusik going, all right, you're clearly the best cruiseweight on the planet. How about you fight Tony Bellew? And I have a feeling we will not see that fight anytime soon. Bellew will sooner give up his belt, call himself a heavyweight than have to fight Usick and get
0: humiliated. Um, will we ever see Usic move up to heavyweight? I spoke to Martin about this earlier. So I hope not.
1: Like let's 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 understand the one thing about heavyweights. Like, they're a different breed. Um Heavyweights are just a different species, especially elite-level heavyweights. We all like to think we could just get big and we just translate everything up there. The truth is we wouldn't. Um, if we look historically again, guys who have moved up, Bob Foster moved from light heavyweight, you know, at the time there was no cruiserweight, so he moved up from light heavyweight to heavy to fight Joe Frazier, got knocked out. Um, if you ever want to watch a good YouTube fight about, you know, the art of the left hook, Frazier versus Foster's a great one. He fought Muhammad Ali as well, and he lost that too. And Foster realized that wasn't his weight. Um, Dwight Muhammad Kawi moved from light, heavy, to cruiser, and then fought George Foreman at heavyweight, and realized he didn't have anything to stop George Foreman. And the thing with these guys is, big men have been taking shots from big men for so long that you're not going to have a punch that's going to bother them, unless you were a Roy Jones or a David Hay, who who have not only superhuman power, it seems, <laughs> but superhuman speed as well. Now, I don't think Usyk is a David Hay type athlete, so I don't know if his methodical style
0: would work in the heavyweight division. John Mullal's going to be cursing you.
1: <laughs> Why? You know, he gets upset because David Hayes is the greatest British boxer since Prince Nassim Hamid, without a shadow of a doubt. He walks the earth like a god, as, as often been <laughs> known to be said and John needs to accept that in right, so why, I
0: think. Uh, why didn't he beat Vladimir Klitschko and would he beat him tomorrow if he fought well would he beat him next year if they fought instead of AJ fighting him he'd beat
1: him if there was a fight in Westfield Stratford David Hay would beat him but it was raining ok it was raining that night <laughs> and David doesn't like boxing when it's raining he had trainers on as well and his toe hurt
0: so he told you what he said alright ok yeah fair one. Um, Right, so another news story that broke this week was Alexander Povetkin testing positive for, or did he test positive for people?
1: He tested positive for Osterine. So Osterine is what they call a psalm. So I think it's a selective androgen receptor modulator. Um, for all the guys who dope out there, you probably all know what it is. <laughs> so the guys that don't dope, what, what it is, is, so, if we, if you go back to, to the old school way of doping, you took steroids. And what steroids did is they made your muscles big, but they made your heart big, and they made everything else big that it wasn't supposed to. And that's why a lot of these WWE wrestlers died of heart attacks, because their hearts became so big, their ventricles became so small, they couldn't then pump blood around a 300 pound body. What the Psalms promised to do was just make sure that the only things affected were the muscles so your tendons your bones your cardiac muscle wasn't affected it was just skeletal muscle but so that's that's what that was it was designed to do that so they they said it was a steroid without any of the side effects the truth is wow it's incredibly it's a <laughs> it's a very mild anabolic you know so so it's actually not that great oh and cancel my order so what what you find with athletes is they take Osterine as a bridge between steroid cycles, so it stops you losing too much of what you've built up. And, and, and that's why it was that, and that's why it was worrying that Pavetkin tested positive for ostarine because what it tells you is he was doping up until that point, and he was likely to dope after he had taken the Osterine, If that makes sense, so it's just a bridge between the cycles to make sure you don't lose anything. Um, that's ridiculous. I I don't think he's the only one. And I'd almost say that if Povetkin, being a notorious doper that he seems to be now, has been popped twice, you have to ask yourself why no one else is getting popped. Because he can't be the only one.
2: He got and done out in Russia as
1: well, which you know, you'd think he, they would yeah, do him a favour. He favor got done for there. Meldonium.
2: Yeah, but i say to actually be done in Russia, you'd have thought he'd be getting a, uh, a bit of a quiet word in his ear. But no, they've actually
0: done him.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you know, and... When I hear about the, the
0: well, when I hear about the um, drug testing programs in athletics and in uh, like, especially something like cycling, which has had so much turmoil, they don't seem to be as hot on it in other sports like, say, boxing and even football, really. And it, you think, like, I just don't, I, I just don't get it. How they think, how, how those in the position to stop these things or it's their duty to stop these things, how they think that their less than satisfactory drug program is stopping any drug taking.
1: It's too expensive. So you imagine how many boxes there are. Let's say there are two thousand registered boxes in this country. And you'd have to test them probably four or five times a year. That's about ten thousand tests. And there are what's it's like maybe like three hundred quid a test, for ten thousand tests. That's taking you towards
0: fifty million.
1: What? Three million? Oh, okay. three million quid a year. <laughs> There's a reason I failed. You know? That's... Yeah. So, so who's who's going to pay that just to say the sports clean? You know, I mean, Eddie Hearn's not going to pay that. Frank Warren's not going to pay that. Mick Hennessey's not going to pay that. Steve Goodwin's not going to pay that. That's the problem. Whereas in cycling, it's a big enough sport. That you can have that sort of program. And you can have that in athletics as well because the revenue is behind it. In boxing it's not. Is and it also, because people don't not really care doubled. that.
0: Is it because people don't re, that the audience doesn't really care that much? Can that be said?
1: Well, no, because can you imagine someone said a British heavyweight, maybe a champion was found guilty? It would shatter the illusion that these guys are supermen. It would be like, well, no, you're just a cheat.
0: Yeah, well, that, um, no, that's definitely true. But
1: but no one no one of that magnitude has been caught taking steroids yet. That's because they never do test how, how that's been the case and why. <laughs> you know, you could easily have biological passports for these guys, and then go, okay, we we know what your testosterone level should be for every year that you're on this earth, and if you're if you're consistently high, even in your forties, we're then going to ask questions about how is this possible? You know, there there, there are ways to do it, but. No one has the will because you don't want to take your cash cow out of the game. That's what you don't want to do.
0: Right. So the reason, the reason, so, the reason, so Matt, you can imagine. Go on.
1: The three biggest revenue generating heavyweights are unlikely to ever get popped for doping because everyone needs them to make the money fights.
0: That's a sad state of affairs, really. I mean, get, like, is it because is it the is the lead reason actually? As you sort of touched on briefly, that is not centrally governed, and therefore there can't be a concerted drive towards clean up the sport
1: so so I'm going to use an analogy with another sport, so if you look at rugby, you can move down to probably level five level six in the rugby pyramid, and that's where you're not getting paid to play at all and There are guys there taking four hundred milligrams of testosterone. Um, they're taking IGF three, they're taking human the growth hormone. Yeah. yeah, they're taking all of this stuff just to play rugby with their mates. So what hope has boxing got when boxers are in the same gym as these guys and these guys are like, well, look, I added twenty pounds of muscle by taking this substance. It's 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 hard and it's you know, the dirtiness of other sports and don't think football's clean either. Like there are guys in football taking fast acting testosterone agents you know there's allegations that the icelandic players were taking 24-hour acting testosterone agents to beat england you know leicester city were (laughs) allegedly (laughs) doping as well
0: yeah it wouldn't surprise me if uh, there was there was there's been rumors in in football for a long time um you know even as much as i've mentioned it on this pod before where um they ter- the drug. Te- I you know I can't even remember what team it was now, but they turned up to uh, give them a drug test, and uh, by I think it might, it might have been my by me. he was like, well, "I know the three guys you've asked for. They're busy, so have these three guys <laughs> and just gave them <laughs> another three guys to test them." I, I I feel like at the very at the very least, uh, like uh, drugs that in- and I forget what they're called now. Drugs that increase the blood ru- a red blood cell count uh, will have been used in football. EPO. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yes. Yep. EPO is Growth hormone Is used for recovery They'll use Osterine For added recovery As well And also just Maintaining physical bulk They will use Stuff You know The more sophisticated Dopers in the sport Especially the older players Will use stuff like IGF LR3 Which will Promote you know the uptake of nutrients into the muscle, which obviously benefits performance. There are all kinds of combinations. You know, I'm, I don't know if I sent you guys, you know, Uriorkus Gamboa when the when the Feds raided his coach and they had Gamboa's doping program, and they we published go. <laughs> it, and, and yeah, it was and it was embarrassing for the sport. But but the reality is this: everything's run by UK Anti Doping at the moment. So all it takes is a promoter to have someone on the inside that says your fighters will be tested on these dates. And you communicate those dates to your fighters and say, make sure you're clean at this point. And then, you know, what do you need at that point? You'd like to have an elite performance facility that you have access to, maybe geographically close by, or maybe you stay there for a few days a week. And they're able to test your blood on a regular basis and say, you'd fail, you'd fail, you'd pass. You know, all of these things. You know, I don't know where that would be, Obviously hypothetical, but if you lived near an elite testing facility, maybe where they had boxes there
0: already, don't know. <laughs> He's sorry, really. He's a sorry state of affairs, isn't no. it? Can we also touch on the fact well, that this whole scenario of Povetkin
2: getting uh, done for it didn't stop a fight from happening? So <laughs> yeah. so his opponent, Bermain <laughs> Steven, who himself has been done for fucking drug cheating this year, um but got a slap on the wrist rather than a, uh, a ban. He said, no, I'm not taking the fight because I'm holier than thou.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly he's
2: had to lower his own light like, intake or whatever. So he says, no, walks away from it, and Juhapas happens to be out in Russia, happens to be training since May or whatever, this is a guy who fought Wilder previously, and steps in to fight. And fights Povetkin, who that day has been done for fucking drug taking. Like, this world has gone mental.
0: What he didn't get stopped. The, the... I, know
1: this, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but the reason... And I am going to defend Povetkin and say, if ever I was going to accept anyone doping, it will be Povetkin. Povetkin's a small heavyweight. <laughs> right. So, I... I, I I don't, I, I, I'm I. not happy about it, but I could live with a small heavyweight, a Povetkin, a Mike Perez, even a Derrick Tussauds, <laughs> I could live with
0: them. Right, before you get yourself into more a. trouble, <laughs> no, you won't accept anyone doping Derek. Just... No, <laughs> no, just let them no, have a little no, no, bit, no, no,
1: even but, the playing no, field. No, yeah, no, I I can kind of live with that. When I start to get worried, is where you have these six foot seven, 17 and a half stone, maybe a little bit ripped. When these guys are on stuff, and I'm like, ooh, Ooh, that, that 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 that's potentially lethal, especially if you're fighting smaller guys. That's when my my red flags get raised. I'm like, wow, um, this is a real problem. Because I don't know if anyone I don't know if anyone saw the Povetkin fight against Duhapas. He iced him. He Pavekin did look good though. <laughs> I'm not surprised he didn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, what a great advert for Doki, but looked good <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ. I mean, he still looked like Claire Baldin, but
1: he did it knocking a man (laughs) out. That left hook might be one of the more dangerous punches in boxing at the moment. Wow. Very dangerous. (laughs) Because he's a fucking drug addict.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, So, playing 11 year old schoolboy with this, if Tyson Fury. Took all available drugs to him, right? Could he be an unstoppable machine? Because we've talked, you've talked about his body before, and gone, that's a, that's basically a clean athlete. Let's take away the recreational drugs for a second, which have no sort of um, performance-based enhancement to them. But like, if you, if he, if he just, just became, if we decided that box, well, you know what, we're not even going to bother trying anymore. We're just going to let everyone take whatever they want. Could he turn into like? You know, a six foot seven. Is he six foot seven? Just freak. Six nine. It? Six nine. Could he just turn uh, into a freak can, uh, and just uh, smash no, everyone? No, no.
1: If, if you if, if you let if you let Tyson Fury dope, maybe he'd look like another British heavyweight. <laughs> now imagine <laughs> another British heavyweight with the boxing IQ and the skill set of Tyson Fury, with that physical conditioning. That doesn't bear thinking about. Like he, he'd beat every heavyweight on the planet in the same day.
0: <laughs> um.
2: It, you said about like, oh, what if they just sacked it off and let people take whatever they?
0: That's what they've done. Well, yeah, that's it seems, yeah, it seems to what be what that is gone, the case. Right, yeah.
2: Povetkin, you've cheated. Like this is really bad. Oh no. And he's gone. All right. Well, if you don't want to sanction it, the WBC, that's fine. We won't have it as a WBC eliminator. I'll just get the to come over and I'll knock yeah. him out instead. Yeah. Like, where's the fucking <laughs> sanctioning over the, the safety of the people getting? But we've in the touched league?
0: on this before. If you, I don't really understand if you set up your own boxing federation. Yeah. You could just even set anywhere, and then there's like two blokes that want to have a fight in a car park. And seemingly, the most important thing is whether you've got your boxing promoter's license or sanctioned license or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, what, then? Just do it.
2: I'm going to set up one, and I'm going to have it VADA tested, which is going to stand for Very Androgynous Drug Allowed. <laughs> Take whatever the fuck you want. We'll do it outside Morrison's, Saturday night, every weekend. Facebook Live
1: it.
0: You know, like a Japanese... No, you want it an- very,
1: you know, no, no wait, wait, hold on. You want it very anabolic, not very androgenic. Androgenic's what turns women into men.
0: Well, we do that as well. Whatever, the, 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 take yeah. what you like. It's you can take, free-for-all. yeah. You can take Vardar or Vardar. i have not commenting on that after last week. Yeah, we can have you have boxers that look like those Japanese anime freaks with muscles <laughs> on muscles. <laughs> but it's a serious point though. Like,
2: what society do we live in whereby somebody gets done for taking drugs? And so, like, I know everybody's got to earn a living. I I don't have a problem with that, but. This Duhapas, he goes there and gets knocked out. Like, he's he's as wrong as everybody else. Like, he should be saying, no, I'm not taking part. It just turns it into a circus, like a yeah. a freak show element just of it. It's corrupt, and isn't it? It's, it's disgusting. But,
1: but it's a quick million, though, isn't it? It Basically, is not it Basically, Imagine they say to Duhapas, mate, we'll give you a million quid for a bit of sparring. Yeah. Yeah. Against a man who's... And that's the sad thing.
0: I'm not sure my integrity would hold up if someone offered me a million pounds to get but, but knocked he, out. But here's the problem,
1: though. So, like, someone in my position, and I'll talk to boxers on the way up, and they'll say to me, Doping, should I do it, should I not do it? And my, me being me, I'm always like, nah, 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 nah skills all day. But then I, then I hear about people who are allegedly taking stuff, and I think, well, it's very hard to say to someone, don't take it, because you've just been a minority of one. Yeah. And, you know, this is how you want to feed your family. Can you get away with that? I don't know. <laughs> it's
0: tragic, really. So, isn't
1: it? It, it, it's, yeah, it's, that's the sad it's the old Lance And Armstrong. even worse is that it's now in the amateur side of the sport, where you're looking at guys and you're thinking, "Nah, that doesn't make any sense to me." There's there's something you're taking that you don't want to share with people because that performance is out of sync with anything that's come before or anything that will come afterwards. That's the worrying bit when you're taking the, the recreational or the kind of fun side of the sport and allowing the dopers to get into that. Or even the white-collar side, you know. You you, you don't want to be up against some roid head who's like, yeah, I'll do white-collar about. And he's got acne all over his back. And, you know, he's got the big beard. and he's, I mean, all that sort of nonsense. You, you don't want it. Like, boxing should be about fun and it should be about you testing yourself one human versus another. You know? Ah, I don't know. It's depressing. It is. It is
0: um you mentioned the cycling I well, think, yeah, the I think you touched Armstrong on something thing. good
2: yeah. so like you know you're saying there about you being a minority of one I mean Armstrong said it didn't he that as much as he was cheating he was cheating because everybody else was cheating and like he was just cheating a little bit better a little bit smarter <laughs> but everybody else was doing it anyway so you have to do it to keep up and then overtake
0: there's a fascinating uh, yeah. conversa- uh, a podcast I remember this on the BBC to um a guy who got Basically ousted by the program, and he squealed on them all and told told about the whole pro, uh, program. And when he was talking, about was that Floyd Landis or Tyler Hamilton? I think it was Tyler. I think it was Tyler Hamilton. And he said that when he when he took growth hormone, he said it was like he could bend metal. <laughs> it felt so strong and so you know, and that was and they, and they would also did this uh, technique where they would um um take out blood and then, uh, you know, just basically put it in a freezer, and or fridge, sorry, wait, say, six weeks or whatever, and then just before a race, inject the blood back into themselves so they were they had like an overdose Mate, this of blood. is
1: what this is what boxers are doing.
0: Blood doping is exactly what boxers are doing. And
1: if you don't believe me, you know, I dare any professional boxer to show you their arm and just look for signs of needle marks or needle trauma, you'll find it. Because what they do, basically, is, you take the EPO, where you're not meant to be fighting. You get your blood count high enough. You take that blood out, and you go, right, we're going to freeze this, because this is really good blood. And then you train normally. You, you'll naturally build up your, your red blood cell count in a training camp. As you come towards the fight, you put that that super blood back in. And what that means is you're probably walking around with 25 to 30% more red blood cells. And if you want to know who's blood doping, just watch boxers from round 9 to 12 and go, who's really got that engine where they can then accelerate? And, you know, they find another gear when they should really be tiring. You know, it's not hard to tell. The, the blood doping in boxing is probably the easiest way to yeah. to be successful because it means, and I'm not pointing fingers here, but it means you can take the first six rounds off and come on strong in the second half of the fight, right?
0: This is, uh, I remember one sort of downside to this which was, he said, whilst he was on the tour, he basically gave himself this extra blood. And he said about three hours after he'd taken this extra blood, he started getting flu-like symptoms. He said he felt absolutely awful. And his, his piss was black for the next three days <laughs> as his body was trying to filter out all this rotten blood that had obviously been not stored properly or whatever. So it's not without you it. Know, you it's... know
1: Sebastian Coe got pinged for that as well. Well, he didn't get pinged for it, but... He, because he was blood doping, he got blood, it's like blood toxicity, He's basically, I, his body reacted to artificial, well, someone else's blood being put into him. and what ended up happening was he gave himself blood poisoning
0: oh, from that. When was that?
1: That's in, that's like late 70s, early 80s.
0: Okay, um, we've kept oh, so This isn't new, oh, okay. none of this stuff is new. Well, I think we've lost ourselves down this you know? rabbit warren, um, yeah. so to speak. Ken Norton. Look, look, look. just an example, just
1: to show how far back this is. Look at Ken Norton when he started boxing. Look at Ken Norton when he fought Ali. And tell me that's just from eating tuna and rice. <laughs> He's dead, so I can libel him. Rest <laughs> in peace, Ken Norton. But you're on steroids.
0: <laughs> okay, so we asked for your Christmas lists to be sent in uh, for Father Boxmas. Um Father Boxmas. Yeah.
1: Father oh, Boxmas. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of
0: another. I'm of, hungover and I don't need that in my life. Well, <laughs> I negativity. A, a better <laughs> pun? I couldn't think of one. Whatever. But people took me up on it. And James Lupton. James. At round eight or round underscore eight on Twitter says. He wants to see Frank Buglioni versus Joel McIntyre, which would be easy for Steve, presumably Steve Goodwin, to make. Martin?
2: Yeah, so um, they're both Steve's fighters. Both fought last weekend. Obviously, um, uh, Buglioni beat uh, Isaiah Burton for the British light heavyweight title. Uh, same night down in Portsmouth, um at a f- frenzied liquid nightclub in Portsmouth, um, Joel McIntyre beat Miles Shinquin for the English light heavyweight title. That's a good win. So, Shinkwin, um, ex England boxer, um, he'd got a win over uh, McIntyre uh, going back a little while now for the southern area. So, McIntyre's avenged that and uh, the only loss on his record. I was actually with Joel uh, last Tuesday with uh, Steve as well uh, and put this fight to them as a potential one. Now, it's not one, I think, essentially, with um, Frank holding the British. That isn't a fight that they're going to uh, going to take. Like they're not going to look at that one anytime soon, I don't think. Um, with Frank holding the British and with essentially, I think he doesn't have a promoter. He's got Steve Goodwin as a manager. He can be free to go around and take that title to um, you know anywhere essentially. So you've now got ITV, you've got Box Nation, BT Sport, you've got Sky Sport. So he can appear on any of those with the with that British title. So I think they'll probably look for the biggest money fight for uh, Frank Buglioni, and I don't think their biggest money fight right now will be Joel McIntyre, um, but certainly Joel McIntyre will probably want to defend the English title. He's talked about possibly fighting Chris Hobbs, who's due to fight for Southern Area, uh, but that fight fell through in the end um, on the same night. So he's, uh, there's a bit of a local rivalry down there between the Portsmouth lads. Um, so there's talk of a fight with Chris Hobbs. But I think Joel will probably look to consolidate where he's at with the English title before moving up to,
0: to Frank's level. Um, okay, so we have another with the same, same contributor, James Lupton. He also wants to see Paulie Upton versus Jimmy Kelly Jr.
2: Uh, so Jimmy Kelly Jr. people have been most familiar with as being Liam Smith's I think
0: first defence
2: of his world title up in Manchester. Andy, you and I were there for that one. Oh, okay. Uh, and he was shit. Um, yeah, you know, let's not beat him around the bush about this. He should not have been fighting for a world title. Jimmy Kelly Jr. has a a record built up of people with losing records and managed to get into the WBO top 15 or whatever um, to get that fight. It was one of the softest world title defences probably ever, I suspect. Like, you're going to struggle to find an easier one than that he's got the problem you know, similar to the David Allen problem if you get chucked up to that world level then where do you land afterwards Uh, so he's had one fight since I think in a hotel in Bolton uh, probably against a receptionist I don't really know Um, (laughs) probably (laughs) Um, that's sweet sweet journalism
0: for you there folks
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no so what do you do with him I mean yeah Paulie Upton the Upton clan in general I think need to get a bit of a shift on Uh, there's Paulie Sonny and Anto um, all three of them were being trained by Ricky Hatton. They've now gone down to Barry Smith in London. Um, I can never remember which one's which, but I think Sonny had the English title at, uh, light middle. Um, so yeah, Paulie and Jimmy Kelly Jr. is a good fight for both. You know, do it. They, I'm fed up of seeing all these fighters around the same level not fighting each other. I tweeted something out this week about, um, Darren Tetley, Yorkshireman, who, um, was meant to be fighting John O'Donnell for the English welterweight title, and then pulls out of it last minute, uh, like just before the purse bids. You know, pulls his own name out of it. So Eric Ochieng has ended up stepping in now, and is going to fight for uh, for the English welterweight title in a fight. Like, Ochieng should not be in that fight. There's no doubt about it at all. He's just lost a southern area, I think, for light welterweight. Um, but there are too many. This is my point. That there's too many people at that level that aren't fighting each other, and like for whatever their reasons, I don't know why. But just as at the top level, you know, you'd love to see Kel Brook Amir Khan. We've been talking about it forever. Long the same thing happened at a small hall level. You end up with fighters. Just read the board notices, um, the British board notices, and it'll tell you, like, so-and-so has withdrawn from these purse bids. It's like, what is your reasoning for doing that? They ought to have to fucking state why they're withdrawing from purse bids or whatever. Because it's so frustrating that you want to see these fights, and then they just duck each other. And that's what it is, is ducking. In the, there might be some other, you know, political reasons in places, but on the whole, like... Just fighting. None of you are that precious. None of you are that good at the moment, and none of you have the the ability to prove you're that good. Unless you get in the ring and fight people at a similar stage of your career. Once you've gone through that apprenticeship of ten fights or whatever, then get
1: in there and let's get some of these fights happen.
0: So Terry, got anything to add to that? But I think the problem
1: the problem is people are trying to steal a living. Yes. Um, and you know, I think Eddie Hearn alluded to this. Everyone's trying to maximise the money they make and minimise the risk that they take in a fight. And you can't be mad at that because that's just the way that. Most businesses work. The problem with boxing is its whole value comes from, you know, the best at any given level testing themselves against the best in that same level. And, you know, look, we went through a period where we had guys like Danny Connor, um, Bradley Skeet, and so on and so forth. And none of these guys were fighting each other. But they were all within five or six square miles of each other. And it was just various promoters saying, I'm going to take you up this route, I'm going to take you up that route. You know what? I'd like a promoter to be brave enough to say, I'm going to build a stable of fighters and we're going to just go around the country just taking records, taking reputations. But no one has the heart to do that anymore. You know, That's a very old school way of thinking. And nowadays it is literally, let's just maximize the money we make because whether I fight Danny Donchev or I fight Larry die, I'm going to make the same amount of money.
0: So, how far are we away from having a promoter with a clean stable of fighters that goes around the country? Taking well, the, you need somebody
2: who's got the financial backing to be able to do it. You know, promoters it, are promoters because they put shows on; they promote shows. So, like, you need one that doesn't want to host their own shows and is able to financially back a fighter. Because ultimately, like, if you take a fighter, you know, if you're, Andy is the promoter and you're going to get one of your fighters on Terry's show, the idea is that Terry's fighter is paying for your fighter essentially uh, so if you're talking just like at a journeyman level or it goes to purse bids so Terry might have won the purse bids so you know the money then gets um, separated between your fighter and Terry's fighter and you take them onto their show so you've got to be able to financially back in some way. Because not many promoters are going to be willing Terry's not going to say, Okay, well I'll pay you five thousand pounds to bring your lad over unless your lad is at a good enough level. So if you start getting together a stable of like all of the handoffs of like Frank Warren and and Eddie Hearn and like some of the okay level names, then you could maybe do it. But if you just have a load of no name fighters and you've just got journey Right, okay, (laughs) zip
0: I don't see how, I, I can't see how it's going to be a yes, but if somebody turns up tomorrow who is a multi billionaire and he has the right intent, like let's say somebody gives you a billion pounds tomorrow, can you make the sport interesting and enjoyable? Oh, fuck
2: off to the Caribbean. You? <laughs>
0: yeah. I lose interest in so Say so you paid somebody else to do it. Could that be? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: you could, you could, you could 100%, do 100%. Like if I had a billion pound war chest. Then I could start going, you know, at all levels you could do it. So you could you?
0: say, American, here's X amount to fight Kelbrook Brook at X amount. Yeah. But you've, but, but is this a, is this the point where you've?
2: Y- it's a bit like purse bids, right? So purse bids um, for area level fights for English for British for world level fights. There's a misconception that you have to be the promoter of one of those two fighters. You don't. All you have to do is hold a promoter's license. So Andy, if you held a promoter's license and the purse bid comes up next week for Dillian White versus Derek Chisora rematch, you can put in a purse bid for that. Like, you could go along with your billion pound and say, here's a million of it. Like, I'm going to take that fight, and I'm going to put it on my show. It doesn't need to be done by Derek Chisora's already hands. So it's
0: all about the business model, essentially. It's the
2: business model, So yeah.
0: sometimes you won't be able to... Uh, basically recoup the amount of money that the fighters will require exactly to fight that. each other. It's
2: exactly that. Like, can you sell enough tickets and have you got enough revenue? Have you got a TV deal or whatever? that will cover all the fighters on that card and leave you in a profit at the end of it. That's what it comes down to. If you've got a billion pounds, you don't care about a profit. If you're doing it like Man City or Chelsea style, then that's completely different. Well,
0: see, I can see Terry, I can hear Terry's poised to come in here.
1: So so, so just in response, remember Al Heyman sat on... 500 million us dollars for his pbc fund and he threw a lot of money down the toilet on fights that just didn't generate revenue so he was winning purse bids but not being able to make his money back off the top of those so now look at what al hayman's had to do in 2017 he's had to make de jack he's had to make garcia thurman um he's making frampton santa cruz so he's making, he, now he has to make the big fights in 2017 to recoup his money because, you know, he was paying guys millions to fight second rate fighters. And so now Heyman has just said, if you really want to make that money, if you want to make that Floyd money, you've got to have the Floyd type fights. So I think, in a way, that's been good for the US market because we should see some really good fights in 2017 for no other reason than Heyman needs to recoup his money.
0: Um, okay, so John Malala as, asks. How much revenue will Wembley generate and how much will all parties walk away with?
1: Well, okay. So if we're going to talk about AJ Klitschko, we're looking at the whole pot here, aren't we? Let's start with with Wembley as a venue. They say there's going to be 90,000 in attendance. Mm, I I think that will happen. Uh, Even if you say an average ticket price of 150 quid, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, StubHub prices will be higher, obviously, but 150 quid... A pop, you're looking at ninety thousand, maybe thirteen and a half million. I should have remembered Martin's spreadsheet at this point, so I have to do all the maths <laughs> again in my head. So maybe yeah, you're looking about thirteen and a half million. I imagine Wembley know their value, so Wembley will want a significant cut of that. I don't imagine Wembley will just give you the stadium for you know, half a million. I think Wembley will probably take a mil, 1.2, somewhere around, Froch around that. Was because 500,000, I believe,
0: uh, when they took out the part. But
1: but, but but remember, like Frotch groves was a, let's just see where this goes. Yeah. Now they know where it goes. You know, you're like, well, <laughs> I know it was half a million last time, but this time, you know, Eddie, you, you need this. You know, I mean, you need this. So we, we need our cut as well, because let's not forget the FA is still paying for Wembley. So they need these events to make sense for them as well. So from the gate, let's just say 12.5 million goes in the pot. Um, Pay-per-view, I don't think this will do a million buys. I don't think this will do half a million true buys. Well, it might do half a million true buys. I mean that they can trace half a million transactions that weren't canceled that said, I want to buy this show. So I think that's possible. Um, and they'll probably do it for £20 a pop. You're looking at 10 million. So we're up to about 23 million in the pop for these guys now. Klitschko will have a deal with the German broadcasters, and I imagine that will be a pay per view as well. He has, I think, his RTL in Germany, as he has a deal with HBO. Is he HBO in the States? I he think is, he is. Yes. So, so there'll be a deal for that. So I imagine on the Klitschko side, there'll be. A revenue figure of around 3 million. And on the Joshua side, he has Showtime. So add another half million. That's 4 million. So I think we're up to about 27 to 30 million. There'll be sponsorships. Look, round figure, just as per Martin's, probably around 30 to 33 million. Take a third off in taxes. Immediate. Not a third. So take a fifth off in taxes. Minimum. So you lose 6 million in taxes. We're down to 24 million. Sky will want half. Well, actually, all the broadcasters will want half the pay per view revenue. It's the standard model. So, pay per view revenue, you're taking off another 13 million. We're at about 17 million now. And I imagine Chris Show will get about 9, AJ will get about 6, you know. And that probably leaves about somewhere between 2 and 3 million for the promoters to make a profit off. Um, it's a big pot but everyone's going to have their hand in there because they know how big this is. This is, you know what? It's like, you know, when you watch the David Attenborough show and you know, you're doing the, the migration across the Serengeti, you get to that watering <laughs> hole and everyone knows this is the moment I need to kill my wildebeest because if I don't kill this wildebeest, it's going to get dry very, very quickly. And I'm going to to <laughs> And essentially that's what's happening with, with AJ Klitschko. Everyone's going to want to get their cut. And, you know, people assume that Hearn will make masses of money. He won't because AJ's almost a loss leader for Eddie Hearn. You know, AJ's money goes to AJ's world. Everyone off, everyone eats off AJ because he's in such a strong negotiating position that Eddie Hearn can't you know, dictate Hearn, terms like he could with the Kel Brook. Hearn
0: will be lucky to take a million out of this. Did you see the? Um, there was a, It was a little while ago. Uh, Annie Joshua was on one of those panel sports shows or whatever and he was sitting next to um, I can't remember the comedian now but the point is AJ's talking about how humble and how money isn't worth anything and as he's half his sentence the comedian leads over and goes is that a Rolex you're wearing <laughs> <laughs> and he drops his wrist <laughs> out of shot <laughs> yeah. I'm amazed he uh, didn't
2: lift it into shot oh, it to the fucking camera It's nah, too humble mate was a tweet I saw that said, uh, like with the press conference going on, said the only way that AJ flips over a table in this
0: is if there's a sponsor's logo on the bottom <laughs> of it. <laughs> okay, Matt Black at Matto Zvow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up doing the tag. I'm just going to say your name. The, I've had it. enough. Why, Martin, why is Bernard Hopkins such an utter wank splat? Good reddance. <laughs> just wondering. <laughs> We have enough questions that I could have potentially weeded this out, but Matt Black's never asked a question before, so oh, it's going something that's troubling. Him.
2: Bernard's a man who's fought with integrity through the years, you know, he's fifty odd years old, he's not been popped for doing drugs, he's come from the prison background, he started on a loss in his career, he's ended on a loss. Like let's give Bernard you know the opportunity to ride off into the sun. Um I'm not a massive fan of his particularly, but you know, I can appreciate what he's done for the
0: sport. Terry, now that ITV deal is out in the open, what's the pod's predictions of the route it will take for potential uh, potential for success, and what fighters do you think it will have under its banner? It, look, I, it's a saturated market now.
1: Um, Sky want to do pay per view, BT Sport slash Box Nation want to do pay per view, and ITV want to do pay per view. Go back through 2016. How many pay per view worthy events did we see? They're not that many. So, everyone has to find a lane. And, you know, Warren has always had that, you know, all British, you know, dust up that means something. And, you know, we'll put that on pay per view and people who really care about the sport will watch it. Eddie Hearn's always got that, you know, we'll sell the fans a dream because they don't really know much about boxing. We'll just sell them a dream and they'll pay for it and we'll make lots of money. And I think ITV are then squeezed, and ITV then has to say, we're the place you come to if you want to build a career. So you'll get your guys between three fights and 15 fights maybe, and these are the guys that will come up. So the thing we were discussing before about small hall guys fighting each other, maybe ITV will be that platform on which they can do it, because that's an easy way to build your name. It won't necessarily always be pay-per-view, but the key thing is you want to be seen on TV by as many people as possible because then boxers can translate their brand into commercial opportunities. So big shout-out to JFB Sports. Um, That's what they're trying to do. So I imagine, while not for the fighters they currently have, but for any future fighters, they might see ITV as a new way to build awareness and a new way to commercialise and those sorts of things. So I imagine... Everyone's going to be watching with interest to see how ITV positions itself. The Eubank fight, in my opinion, was probably the wrong way to start it. Um, because you look at that card and you think, who else can they get? Um, you know, and you're looking at you know, the, the free agents. Maybe you can get a Frank Buglioni on there, I don't know. But you are really looking at free agents, or you're looking at guys like Tommy Dove and Steve Goodwin to give you some of their fights. You're not going to get the
0: Hollywood. Martin, I can see you itching to come in here.
1: Yeah, rightly so, the Eubank fight has been getting
2: pelters from people for it being on uh, on pay-per-view and fighting for this IBO title. Don't have a problem with people giving it shit, right? But those same people need to remember, if Richard Poxson does a job on this and gets uh, boxing back onto terrestrial standard ITV, then those same people will be offering him up an apology. From what I've heard, there's going to be a, a number of shows that will be on ITV, like standard ITV, um, next year. So it's not the right strategy, perhaps, to open up with Chris Eubank versus whoever it is, Peter Quinlan on pay-per-view. I can understand why people aren't happy about that. I can understand why people are mocking it, etc. But I say, bear in mind, this is part of a bigger picture. Like, ITV are back into boxing. And with Richard Poxon, they have somebody who has a, a long and storied um background in boxing, And he has lots of different relationships around the country with different promoters. He is a promoter himself. He has his promoter's license. He's the one who's promoting this event with Eubank, uh, essentially. But I say, he has relationships with others. ITV, in my opinion, ITV will be rolling this out onto terrestrial TV, which can only be a good thing. I can understand people not being happy about the Eubank pay-per-view situation. But bear in mind it is part of a bigger picture, and if we see ITV coming back with whatever level of boxing they bring back, that can only be a good thing.
0: Okay, Devon, that was from David McGinley. He also asks The feeling what is the pod's feeling on Huey Fury versus um, Parker? I know very little about Huey, but his dad is a great coach and he's been sparring Tyson. Uh Martin. Um we don't know
2: enough about Hughie Fury at that level yet, do we? But um, Parker is a fighter we've discussed before. He's been brought along very well, um, but as we saw against Andy Reids, he isn't—he isn't a world beater by any means. Is Hughie Fury a world beater? We don't know the answer to that question yet. He's had the medical issues, which all seem to be cleared up, although we've heard that before. So, are they definitely? You don't know. Um, he's now meant to be a clean bill of health he's got Parker and he's got Wilder as two potential options for uh, world title fights Frank Warren came out uh, last week and did an interview and said that uh, he will be fighting for a world title I think in the first quarter of 2017 he said um, which is interesting so would he beat Joseph Parker? <laughs>
0: I, I think he could I don't know if he will uh, quick question What would be best for the heavyweight division? What what would be the best situation? Tyson Fury. Um, Right. So let's say, all right, so say Tyson Fury comes back, back end of next year. Yeah? But in the meantime, you've got AJ Klitschko. So one word answers from the both of you. Or best, or near to. (laughs) What's the best outcome, AJ Klitschko, for the sport? AJ. Terry? Klitschko (laughs) Well clearly we have a conflict here So what Can you just quickly qualify Why that would be the case Terry
1: The thing about Vladimir Klitschko Is He's He's a better benchmark For me For what you should be able To overcome To be a champion I I don't AJ just hasn't done it He hasn't got the scars Like Look Klitschko's come through Lehman Brewster Corey Sanders, I um, can't remember who else put him on his ass, maybe Sam Peter did, I'm not sure. But he's come through the hard way, and I'd rather he held the belt than AJ at the moment. AJ, for all the good things he's done for the sport, and I'm a big fan of AJ, but AJ is really a walking, muscled billboard. That's essentially what he is. He's not a boxer, he's a muscled billboard okay. That people want to make money from in five years and cash out their position. Vlad's a champion. Like, you know what? When he talked through how hard it was to keep all those belts for so long, you realize here's a guy who loves the sport. So I'd quite like him to do it and then let him lose to someone who can then carry that mantle of boxing, not just lifting weights, not just of Instagram videos but of boxing. Let someone carry that mantle that we can all stand behind as a champion.
0: Martin, more of a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I just oh. think... <laughs> all
0: right. I'm only joking, Terry.
2: Klitschko's been out of the ring so long, it's not all his fault. I know there's been the Fury debacle, but you know we've seen He's, he's twice been injured, I think, in the build-up to these Fury fights, the first and the second one that didn't happen in the end. Um, I just think Joshua is somebody that He's good for the build. <laughs> he's good for bringing money into the sport. He's good for building the interest in the sport. Like let that carry on for a little bit. Um, he can regularly get out. He's four, what, three, four times this year. Yeah, I suppose in the last twelve months, four times you include Dillian White. You know somebody that's young. You know he speaks the right. As boring as it is, as much we mock him for it. He speaks the right things. Uh, I'm sure behind closed doors he's less of a role model than Eddie Hearn makes out that he is in public. But i you know, I'm not a huge AJ fan, but he is good for the sport. I don't think you can criticise how good he is for the sport. Hand it over, you know, let him go with it.
0: Okay, so I asked you to send in your wishes to Father Boxmas i have already addressed a couple of them. But I'm just going to read out some of the, some of them that necessarily don't need to be expanded on. So, here we go. Sam Khan asks I would like David Hay to fight for a world title against anyone decent, but most importantly she wants the trio of the new age boxing contributors to be the ring girls. You up for that guys? Yeah, definitely up for that. Okay. Why she deserves it, everyone deserves it. Would probably even attend it, even though it's a hay fight. That's pretty generous. <laughs> okay. See, so yeah.
1: Um um no, ring girls no. Terry, um, you're the most qualified you know what? for Sam this. Can't, Sam, Sam can't. Sam can't for watching too much Oz. <laughs> uh, it's obviously got to a head right now. <laughs> you know this is not Oswald Penitentiary. We we don't engage in such behaviour. <laughs> we're serious. We're serious boxing enthusiasts
0: here. Yeah. Well, I'll do it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like everyone else in boxing. I'm the doofus <laughs> of ring girls. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Matt Black asks, to get all the top fights in 2017, Sky to go bust as Murdoch gets a controlling stake, because he's been shafting fans for too long. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Sam. Right, Martin, do you want to read yeah, out? Yeah, I'll
2: read one out, I'll take the burden off your hands. So, from an anonymous caller, says, I want... Uh, Klitschko to beat AJ because it will halt the gravy train for six months giving other prospects and fans a chance to sell and buy tickets respectively rather than getting sexually assaulted by StubHub and co. <laughs> ring 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 Hi there The anonymous caller is back. <laughs> I want Mickey Helliot to follow me and to not unfollow me.
0: <laughs>
2: I will not however follow him back regardless because of personal reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mickey Elliot is... Where is Mickey he's, uh, uh, he, him, really. honestly, he's,
2: no. um He manages or promotes Vijenda Singh's opponent from last night. Not anyone gives a fuck about Vigenda Singh apart from Box Nation. But um, Yeah, he's got a couple of Southern Area fights he's promoting early next year, I believe. Is he be, oh, on his own show? Yeah, I think so. Oh, so he's back. I now. believe so. He'll probably... I don't know. Follow him, then unfollow him, and follow him again, and unfollow him again, and uh, you might find out. (laughs) Because that's what he does to Uh, everyone
1: Ah, he's worse than Boxing Kingdom 14. Yeah. You know, unfollowed, then followed, message, please retweet my last tweet, then unfollowed. So I didn't even get a chance to retweet it, because I got unfollowed immediately.
0: Okay. From Titch, my boxing wish for Santa is that Anthony Joshua moves... To clone Cyclone to promote him,
2: Barry McGuigan
0: Oh, okay, all right. Um,
2: That's a great
1: show,
0: fantastic. He's not
1: gonna happen. He'll go on his own.
0: Can you imagine it? Hashtag class. Love
1: that. Okay. Yeah, because because you know, there's obviously that that inherent tension between the two camps. Yes. And
0: <laughs>
1: no, nothing would make Eddie sicker to his stomach than you know the McGuigan's taking over. And here's the thing, though, and I I I try and explain this to people. Barry McGuigan is very, very persuasive. Like when you meet Barry McGuigan in person, he will make you feel incredible about yourself. It doesn't matter what you felt like twenty minutes before. Is he
0: injecting you with something? You will feel like incredible him? about yourself. <laughs> Just the goodness of life. <laughs> hmm. Well countered. Okay, Bruce Howie asks a question. On the podcast, you've mentioned that Ortiz is being built up for an AJ fight. Why not the WBC route? As White has had one eliminator, and to me, it makes sense for Eddie Hearn to go after that belt for a massive unification belt. Surely Ortiz would have a better chance at Wilder than White, even though Ortiz has looked shit.
2: Well, I mean, um, I messaged uh, messaged Bruce. It's Bruce Howard,
0: yeah. Cheers, Bruce.
2: Um, Yeah, so why doesn't he send Ortiz down that route as well? Because he's already got Dillian White on that path. So, in term, it's all linked back to financially, essentially. So, you've got Dillian White going down the path of um, Deontay Wilder. So, if that fight comes off, they'll have to take, uh, I think he's got another final eliminator to go, and then he'll be in the position to take it. But At that point, he'll have to take the lower end of the purse for it. So, he sends Dillian White in to try and take the belt off Deontay Wilder. In the meantime, why doesn't he send Luis Ortiz there? Because he starts losing more and more control of the finance around Luis Ortiz. If you keep Luis Ortiz for Anthony Joshua, whilst Anthony Joshua is still a matchroom fighter, um, then you can control all of the finance within that. He doesn't want to lose control of any of the finance for any of the fighters, ideally, although it's a a necessary evil when it gets to world title level. So in the meantime, why send another fighter off down that route and potentially lose out on some of their purse when you can keep them in-house and make those fights yourself, controlling all of the money. Yeah.
1: Because, and, I, and to follow Martin's point, the matchroom model, unlike the Heyman model, like the Heyman model is about monopolise the belts and the revenue will come. The matchroom model is this, monopolise the events and the revenue will come. So, Eddie wants all of his guys to fight in Britain on his shows. Which is why kelbrook Brook and then this is one of the biggest sins of Matchroom probably of the last few years. When they beat Sean Porter, Eddie Hearn, as apples and pears as he is, as used car salesman as he is, did not call out Floyd Mayweather. Because he knew he'd never get Floyd to the UK. That was the best fight for Cal at the time. But it meant broke having to go to the States and Eddie Hearn not really getting that revenue. Maybe a cut of the sky pay-per-view, but that would have been a pittance because no one was going to pay to watch kelbrook at 4 in the morning and and this is the thing so eddie's a slave to his own model which is i have to have the fights in the uk that's how i actually make money anything that involves going abroad and it's not a co-promotion or he's not just sending his third string fighters out there he doesn't care about
0: them. Polish solicitor asks would love to hear your views on my countryman Arta spiltzka is that right and, uh-huh. and, Christ knows what this is, Christoph Glawacki. Glawacki, yeah, okay. There you go, Terry. Take it away.
1: Um. So, Polish fighters, you know, I mean, let's go back to the days of Golota, um, the days of Adamek, with, you know, tough men. In the States, they normally base themselves out of Chicago because that's the largest Polish community in the United States. In outside fact, of, it might be the largest. Outside of
0: Poland. Po- yeah, it is, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's the largest Polish community outside of Poland. So there's always been a tradition of them being very tough men, you know, with solid fundamental skills. Gloss was a bit of a nutcase, as we saw in the bow fights. Um, Adamek, lower profile, but equally as effective. Um, I like Spilska. I thought Spilska gave Wilder a good fight, um, him being southpaw and awkward. Until that right hook came, Wilder was definitely in a fight. But we don't know how much that's down to Spilska being good, or Wilder just being disinterested, because he didn't look his usual self. But on the subject of Dillian White, Dillian White Arthur Spilska is a fight I'd like to see, because that will let us know how tough Dillian White actually is, in terms of you know, will he be able to grit it out against a Stavner or Povetkin? And I think the Spilska fight would tell us that. Glovacki Obviously took the hiding from Usyk, But I still think, like, after that fight against Huck, I guess if he gets his spreadsheet right, he can give someone like Bell you all kinds of trouble. Solid fundamentals. you know. There's no not too many bells and whistles with him, but he's tough, and he'll be in the fight until the bitter end. So I think both of those guys are good, slightly undersized for their divisions, but they make up for that in-toughness. And, you know, being awkward Southport. I think I think Glavaki was the Southport, if I remember correctly.
0: Right, we have come to the end of our questions. So there's one last thing that I know we need to address, and that's the little vote that took place earlier on Twitter, Martin. Yeah, it's backfired <laughs> significantly. <laughs> I thought to myself, you know what, when I saw Andy, lead singer in brackets. I thought you knob. <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying. So now he's going to be singing Sweet Caroline to lead us out of the podcast. Wonderful. <laughs>
2: Wonderful.
0: But just before we get to that moment of Christmas magic, uh, <laughs> let, let's get to arguable. My wish for arguable this year is that Martin and Terry give each other arguables. E- the harder and most more horrible, the better. So I'll go first. Are you ready, Terry?
1: Yeah.
2: Go. The fan reaction this week has proven that Chris Eubank Jr. should be on more pay-per-views against unknown Australians in 2017.
1: Go. Chris Eubank is still in Dubai selling sand to the Arabs <laughs> because, quite frankly, anything he touches is absolute gold. And, you know, when he comes back to the UK, he's going to sell pay-per-view to the cynics. You know, What, what an incredible man, you know. <laughs> First of all, he tells us he's going to beat Golovkin. He doesn't even fight Golovkin, but we still believe he's better than Golovkin. <laughs> you know, his father believes that. His father believes that he'll beat AJ as well. Like, I'm sure they're working up to that. Look, he's moved up to super middleweight, <laughs> then you know, not too many stops away from heavyweight. So, Eubank Junior versus Anthony Joshua, and well, why not? And then, you know, in the meantime, if the ITV purse isn't big enough, he's still selling sand out to the Arabs over there. So, Eubank Junior absolute business whiz. You know, you have to give this guy credit. He's dominated the boxing landscape in the last <laughs> month.
0: Well done, Terry. Congratulations. That was 50 seconds. So, Martin, you're going to have to uh, you have to get near that. Terry, are you ready I'm to not, fire one at Martin? I'm not. <laughs> my brain is not working. But yeah, I'm going to okay. go for it. Right, off you go, Terry. Go on.
1: Um, small hall shows have seen their day and are simply the preserve of the weirdos and the alcoholics.
2: <laughs> Stop. That's very true because I right now, for the last few hours, have felt like an alcoholic (laughs) and I attend many small hall shows. So I can't argue against this. But no, it's true. You know, um, turn up to any small hall show and, you know, if there isn't any action in the ring, then just head out to the bar because somebody will be getting (laughs) chinned. whether that's because they're all smashed or because they're all weirdos. I don't know what difference does it make as long as they're getting chinned. That's what we're there for, right? we just want to see action. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we all hear the person at the back going, knock him out! Knock him! Especially Tracy, who's been on the fucking Prosecco <laughs> since 12
0: o'clock. Just, just come Fresh watch- after abortion. <laughs> <laughs> saying, I never go into the sewer. I should be allowed Said to... <laughs> Tracy.
2: Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> well, <yeah>. well
0: done. <laughs> right, as promised, thank you very much, gents. That was fantastic. Um, as promised, Martin, as promised by you for some bizarre reason, you're so going to b- <laughs> be swing it, singing Sweet Caroline. We think? We're going
2: to play it on a phone down the microphone.
0: I, I, think, I think that would suit the crudeness of the yeah, podcast. you play it
2: off yours because my speaker's shy on my phone. Okay, okay, I'll okay. get the lyrics up. This is going
0: to be absolutely appalling I do not apologise I'm not going to edit this part out this can be
2: just sounds like you're on hold at Empower doesn't it
0: maybe I will edit a little bit Okay so as promised ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for listening cuz this will be the, the the rest of the podcast where we'll just fade into Neil Diamond singing through a phone into a microphone with me over the top. Yeah so. I might I might take something on the end just Go so it's not so bad. Um, but Martin's going to be singing us out with Neil Diamond's this is my Caroline. Christmas
2: present to uh, to listeners. So yeah thank you. have a lovely Christmas everyone have a lovely new year we'll see you on the other side. Uh, yeah yeah. Tell me you have a safe journey over to Super Battle Boy as well. I think you're off it? it's, uh, go and
0: going to enjoy. Yeah. ah, miss mate, pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to somewhere where it's nice and warm. It'll be lovely. You have a nice Christmas. Enjoy.
1: Hey, anyone need a farm, hit me
0: up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bring one back. What's the fucking luggage allowance? You're <laughs> rocking man. I- I'm flying with Derek. We're off. <laughs>
0: Okay, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the other side of Christmas. Um, And uh, there you go. This is your treat. Here we go, Neil.
2: Just imagine Josh Warrington right now. Josh Warrington, all those fans. Where it began I can't begin to know it but then but I know it's grows strong. Come on, Josh Warrington. Strong, <laughs> baby. On, Josh
0: Warrington. So Was the spring out of strings. Then spring became a song. Who Ugh. would believe you'd come along? Yeah, like who would believe you'd come along? Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, well, Dutch in the O2. Touch those hands. Reach, Reach it out. T-shirts off. Round your head. Dutch me Touching you Spitting my 12-pound wig into the air. Let's all go. Never
2: can up. to Feeling
0: What's uh, up your orgasm voice? Look at the
2: night. You've heard it <laughs> we filled it up with only two. Come on, Josh. <laughs> England! BMP BMP
1: Brexit! My God! I'm the, soul, the, the to fuck off. You...
2: Josh Warrington. <laughs> can have believe lead. Reaching out, so touching me, touching me, sweet Caroline. Caroline. Oh shit, We've you been it for 12 rounds, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not really hitting that hard he at all. You can't hear me. It's him. <laughs> never were. Oh, no, no. And there we go. That's the end. Have a lovely 2017, people.
1: Oh, Merry Christmas, man.
2: We're out of here. Call it off, Andy. Ring the bell. Ring the damn
0: bell. Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> you love
1: it, you love it <laughs>